This does not uh, welcome uh, students of color to Hillcrest. You seem slightly more apologetic, even as you're describing it, than Sherry <laughs> than, really than Sherry is, is in the scene. I'm not sure there's an I'm sorry, but we got it. It's like, true. We got to fix this. The sound is me <laughs> slapping my script in and we got to get this thing fixed. Welcome back, everybody, to No Script, an unscripted conversation about theater's best scripts. I'm Jacob Mann Christensen. And I am Jackson Nikolai. Welcome back, everybody. Excited to be back in the podcast chair with all of you today. Um, today, uh, we're, we're excited. We're excited to get to jump into another new script. We're also excited about uh, just the, the phase of the season we're in. We're in like the kind of middle ground of the season. I'm starting to kind of get really churning with a lot of new, a lot of great new variation plays that we're doing. Um, and we're getting closer to one of our kind of hallmarks of our uh, seasons of No Script, which is our themed month. Absolutely. This season, we are doing a theme month the same as we have every season. That is a month of conversations, four straight conversations, which all have some sort of thing that ties them together. In the past, that has been as loose as they're all musicals or as centered as they are all by the same playwright. We've done a month on Arthur Miller. We've done a month on David Henry Huang. We've also done things like four plays that have magic in them and whole variations on that. For a while, we kept up with the alliteration, and we had like a <laughs> some sort of word that began with M. I think yeah. the worst one we did was we did Greek plays, and we called it like Master's Month or something. Yeah, it that was, one it was, was a stretch. We hit that, and we're like, okay, we've stretched the... <laughs> We stretch the alliteration as much as we can. <laughs> we uh, we know what the theme month is. We are planning avidly for it right now. We are not going to tell you this episode. Tune in next week Secrets. to hear the themed month. I don't. I can't off the top of my head think of any way to make it an M though. I will. I'll give you that <laughs> yeah, straight we'll, we'll up at the straight front. Up. I do not think it's going to be an illiterate <laughs> month this time around. <laughs> yep, it's true. Yep. So, yeah, we're excited to get to to bring it your direction out there um but yes yeah, stay tuned in the next uh probably in the next week or two uh we'll announce the uh themed month and its arrival in your podcasting apps of choice absolutely that will be very exciting and even though we're looking forward to that this week is its own exciting week we're talking about a new playwright to the podcast we're talking about a really challenging gripping play uh this is a play that came to be just before the pandemic and it went through that same struggle that a lot of plays from that period went through where as they were really gaining steam the pandemic rolled around and shut theaters down this play however has picked steam back up after the pandemic just because of the incredible relevancy, the challenge, the uh, the great boy, really good writing that is in this script, and uh, we're we're excited and nervous to talk about this script. It's one of those where like doing a live show, man. Sometimes you say <laughs> things and you look back and you're like, "That's not. I didn't mean to say it that way. That right, is not right. what I want to be recorded on the internet." <laughs> And yet here we are jumping right into it. We're going to be uh, talking about Admissions by Joshua Harmon today, um, which is uh, a great play, a great like um, uh, 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 kind of small cast that allows a lot of time for you to dig into characters and their uh, really integrated relationships with each other. I think the way that they all kind of play off of each other and the, the, uh, the uh, kind of... Uh, reliance that each character has on the other is a really interesting way to deal with a really complex issue that this play focuses on. Boy, yeah, this this play is really getting to the heart of some of what our country is dealing with right now, and it, and it has a, a powerful perspective in it, and it has a lot of challenging questions that I think will be uh, really interesting for us to talk about. 
Yeah, but before we do, I want to take just a second and say thank you to all of our patrons at patreon.com slash noscriptpodcast. Thank you all so much for being a part of the NoScript community. Those of you who are longtime listeners have heard this before. You know, we say this on pretty much every show. Um, uh, we, we love getting to do this. We love getting to uh, uh, talk about these scripts, talk about theater's best scripts and these unscripted conversations, and then extend that conversation to all of you out there in podcast land. However, um, uh, the endeavor is not free. We spend a good deal of time and money on the podcast and our patrons make this podcast possible. Um, thank you all so much for being a vital part of this show and for the sort of community that we've kind of grown over on Patreon. Um, uh, if you uh, check out the, the, the site over there, you'll find a number of different tiers of patronship, the lowest one for just $1, $12 over the course of a year. Um, and you get access to patron-only posts over there. At different tiers, you have uh, producer credits for shows. We just thanked a, a new producer just a couple uh, uh or gave producer credit to a new person a couple episodes ago so if you're looking for a way to help out the show whether you're just tuning in or whether you're a long-time listener and looking for a way to be involved in the no script community patreon.com slash no script podcast is a great way to do that thank you all so much for uh those of you who are already patrons and we will see you over there and now back to the script here we go. Hey, okay, okay. We're at the top of a new episode about a new playwright. So it's time for a brief playwright overview. And again, we do our best in these things. There there may be some mistakes. We, I don't know Joshua Harmon perfectly, but these are some things that you might want to know about Joshua Harmon. Uh, he is a New York City-raised human being. He went to, listen to this trio of schools, Northwestern University, Carnegie Mellon, and Juilliard. A highly trained person from prestigious universities, which is interesting given the subject of this play. And I'm sure that will come into our discussion to some degree. Um, So so his first real play of any note, in fact, uh, it it ended up getting a production at Roundabout in 2012. Uh, That was a play called Bad Jews, really sort of put him on the map. And uh, then just a few years later in the 2014-2015 theater season, Season. This was uh, one of his moments. We sort of talked about a couple of playwrights that have had moments like this in the American regional theater scene where they are one of the most produced playwrights in that scene. And that was him in 2014, 2015. He was the third most produced playwright in America. Um, and actually, it was specifically Bad Jews that was getting all of those productions. It was like the third most produced play in the country. Uh, it also got productions on the West End and toured around the world. So really put him on the map um, as as a as a, a you know whatever a real playwright means um, in terms of getting productions of his work. 2013, he was the playwright-in-residence at the National Playwrights Conference at the Eugene O'Neill Theater Center. Uh, 2015, Roundabout produced another of his plays, Significant Other, which went on to a Broadway run in 2017. Then the next sort of slot of his career is this play, Admissions, which I'll talk about in a minute, so I'm going to skip that for now. His most recent play is Prayer for a French Republic, which by all accounts is absolutely remarkable. I cannot wait to engage with that play. I'm working on how I can uh, either see it or read it or something right now. It looks incredible. It won an Outer Circle Critics Award, a Drama Desk Award. It was nominated for a Lucille Laurel Award and a Drama League Award nomination. So uh, by by the accounts of the awards, uh, seems to be really remarkable, seems to be fascinating. Looking forward to trying to get my hands on that. This play, Admissions, was first produced at the Lincoln Center Theater in 2018. Jessica Hecht was in that production, who, if you know her from Friends or more recently from Breaking Bad, she was like the billionaire friend that tries to get Walter to pay for their medical bills. Uh, That's her. She was in this production at the Lincoln Theater Center or Lincoln Center Theater. The play was also produced. I'm just going to list some of the places that produced it before the pandemic. Obviously, this is not all of them, but some of them you may recognize. 2018, the Repertory Theater of St. Louis. 2019, Studio Theater in D.C. 2019, at Trafalgar Studios in London before it went on to travel the U.K. I think it was that production that toured the U.K., 
Uh, also in 2019, Boston Center for the Arts, Theater Wit in Chicago. Then we hit the pandemic, of course, so we'll skip that couple of years. And then in 2022, <laughs> uh, it had productions at uh, with the American Lives Theater. It was presented at Indie Fringe, which is in Indianapolis. And uh, in late summer, it was presented at the Restless Artists Theater in Nevada. So sort of coming back into life after the pandemic now that theaters are starting to redo uh, or restart their in-person performance. This play won the Egerton Foundation New Play Award, the 2018 Outer Critics Circle Award for New Off-Broadway Play, and the Drama Desk Award for Outstanding Play. Uh, it, obviously, Joshua Harmon is, is making waves, especially at that regional theater scene, but you'll notice that he has had a Broadway production. He's had major off-Broadway productions. So if you don't know the name Joshua Harmon, you're going to want to. He is going to be producing stuff that's going to be impacting American theater uh, for a long time is my uh, not-so-bold prediction. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. And and yeah, I think that this, uh, as I said at the beginning, I think this play is is a very producible play and one that leans well into community conversations. Um, and so, so yeah, you're definitely going to be seeing, you're, you're going to be seeing his name around a lot more often, I think. Um, I'm going to jump in and give us just a short synopsis of this play, just so that we're on uh, a similar uh, starting point. Uh, this is a play that is set in uh, 2015 to 2016, a nice specific date um, uh, around uh, it, Christmas to Easter. it does come up that that's when it's set, too, because they talk about the presidents at one point. And I remember reading yep. it, and they were talking about how the presidents had all gone to these crazy schools. And I remember reading it like, wow, when was this written? <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, uh, and, and again, as Jacob said, this was produced in 2018. So it's right, right in the last couple of years here and right in that kind of big political moment of 2015 to 2016. Um, so, so, uh, that's kind of in the backdrop of it and it's set, um, at Hillcrest, which is, uh, described as a second tier on the cusp of being a first tier prep slash boarding school in rural New Hampshire. Now this play, uh, focuses on, uh, we've done a couple of plays that focus on, uh, the demographic known as Wasps, which is white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. And this um, uh, play takes place in New Hampshire at a prep school that has a lot of white Anglo-Saxon Protestants in it. So this is a, a good point for us to acknowledge that we probably belong in a very similar demographic. We're not from New England, but we are white Anglo-Saxon Protestants um, engaging this play about um, a race and the school system. Um, so uh, just a moment to acknowledge where we are coming from as we are reviewing this, uh, or not reviewing, just having a conversation about this play and about the big themes that are in it. Yes, absolutely. I totally agree. Uh, we have... You know, this is a this play really in general, as you'll hear as Jackson does the synopsis, has a kind of limited perspective. The the cast is all white, for example, um, and, and that kind of specifically deals with what Joshua Harmon is trying to do. So I, I don't mean that as a slight of the play at all, but just to say that this is a particular perspective on the really major issues that are going to be talked about in this play. So for sure, check out other voices on this play, but also please, for sure, check out other voices on the issue of uh, race in admissions, on the issue of white privilege. We'll have a discussion about how that's examined in the play, but it's just one voice of many, and uh, hopefully you are in the business of absorbing many voices. That said, let's jump into the synopsis. So as I said, this play takes place from Christmas to Easter on an academic school year somewhere around 2015 to 2016. Um, the play starts with a conversation between Sherry and Roberta. Now, Sherry is uh, Sherry Rosen Mason. Uh, she is in her early 50s, and she is the head of admissions for Hillcrest. She is married to Bill Mason, who is the head of the school at Hillcrest, and her son, Charlie Mason, attends the school and is in his senior year at that school. Roberta is her secretary, um, or or. or uh, essentially the the uh the yeah the the um uh, 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 secretary is as close as I can get right now, but the the assistant to to the admissions department. Um, yeah, it's a little unclear. Like, what she works under Sherry for a hundred percent for sure. Uh, yeah. All we really know is that she has some role in that development admissions kind of department, which is subordinate to Sherry. 
and and she arrives. She's in her early seventies. They they kind of make a note of the kind of separation in their ages. Um, and uh, she arrives, and they begin a conversation. Uh, Sherry pretty abruptly adjusts them to a fairly uh, confrontary uh, uh, conversation around the admissions catalog. Now Hillcrest has been going through a season ever since Sherry has taken control of the admissions department of trying to diversify their student body. They have been a historically white prep school and a very low percentage of, of uh, students of color in their school and Sherry's mission has been to, div to diversify their student body. Um, she took it from a very low number, I think 6% is what she says, um, was what the, the, the uh, students of color uh, population was at the school when she arrived and it's now at 18%. So she's been working really hard on that and the admissions catalog that Roberta has been working on does not reflect the current student body at all. Um, it, uh, uh, Sherry brings her in and says, this is this, I'm sorry, I'm like two weeks late on this. I know you've probably already pushed this, but this is not going to fly at all. This does not represent our student body. This does not uh, welcome uh, students of color to Hillcrest. You seem slightly more apologetic, even as you're describing it, than Sherry <laughs> than, really than Sherry is, is in the scene. I'm not sure there's an I'm sorry, but we got it. It's like, true. we got to fix this. The sound is me <laughs> slapping my script in and we got to get this thing fixed. <laughs> yep. You get the sense that this has been a repeated conversation. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's 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 uh, lines that Roberta says that Sherry like mouths along with her um, because you get the sense that they've had this conversation more than one than once. Roberta is somewhat uh, uh, either either um, unaware or resistant to some of the critiques that Sherry has. Um, uh, Sherry uh, notes that there's there's almost no pictures of students of, of color in in the admissions catalog. Um and Roberta comes back with, well, what about this particular student whose name is Perry, who will come up later? He's biracial. Um, he's, a, he's a student of color. Um, and uh, they get into a sort of uh, a difficult conversation where Sherry ends up having to say, essentially, he isn't presenting as a student of color enough for what I'm going for in this in this admissions catalog, which sends Roberta on a different path and a very specific path where she kind of annoyed or uh, finicky Lee um, uh, makes makes Sherry like state who exactly she wants in the photos. <laughs> um, and uh, so a pretty tense conversation with them kind of starts off the play around this admissions catalog and its representation of students of color on campus. Um, what follows is a conversation with Sherry's friend Ginny. Now, Ginny is actually the uh, mother of uh, of Perry, um, the student who was uh, being talked about in the admissions catalog. Their sons, so Perry and Charlie, uh, Ginny's son Perry and Sherry's son Charlie, um, lots of E names, um, uh, uh, are friends. And they've been friends for a long time. Uh, they both have applied to uh, go to Yale. Um, spend Charlie's dream, Sherry's son Charlie. Charlie's dream for a very long time to go to Yale, um, ever since he was like eight years old or something like that. And so they both applied to Yale, and this is the the, the day that they will likely hear back from Yale um, about their admissions. Um, uh, notably, uh, Ginny is a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, just like uh, uh, the uh, Sh Sherry. Sherry also, uh, I should I should state at the beginning, while she kind of uh, moves in that demographic fairly easily, she uh, her character description is early fifties, very liberal, sec secular Jewish woman, head of admissions for Hillcrest. So. Um, Ginny uh, is is white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. She's married to Dr. Don, um, who is is a, a black professor at the school, and their son Perry is the the biracial student that I mentioned before. Um, partway through the conversation, uh, she gets a call. Ginny gets a call that uh, Perry has gotten into Yale. He's very excited. He was at basketball practice when he called her, um, which is a basketball practice that we know Charlie would be at as well. Um, and uh, so Ginny gets off the phone. She's very excited that Perry got in and Sherry uh, hasn't heard from Charlie yet. Um, that scene ends and the next scene begins and uh, uh, it's a scene with Sherry and Bill worried about Charlie. Charlie hasn't come home and it's like nine o'clock, which is <laughs> fairly early. But uh, is is odd that he would be uh, not home uh, not home at that time, and the, and they haven't heard from him too. I think yeah. it's, it's not so much a curfew issue as like we literally don't know where he is. 
they've called, they've texted, they're, they're not sure where he is. Um, and they're, they're guessing that he didn't get into Yale. Um, uh, but, uh, eventually he arrives home, he storms upstairs, um, and, uh, becomes very clear that he did not get into Yale and he tries to storm back out the door. Um, but they eventually get him to sit down and, and kind of, uh, process what is, what has happened. And what happens is a pretty big explosion from Charlie about, um, both about how unfair it, it is that, uh, he's not in Yale at all, but also particularly uh, how unfair it is that Perry got in. Um, you, you kind of uh, see him uh, out of his kind of pain and anger reveal a lot of kind of under the water biases of his around Perry as, as uh, a student of color, around uh, Yale's acceptance of him, around other interactions that he's had as a kind of top of his class white male student um, that he's had to kind of step away from, for instance, an editor-in-chief job at the school paper because uh, a woman had applied for the same job. And he kind of goes off on this tirade about how he has been so... Um, uh, uh, has missed out on opportunities as a result of that, I think, from his perspective. Um, but Bill, his his dad, calls him out on it and basically calls him a racist um, and a sexist and says, I can't believe that you are this way. And how could you have been? How could you be this way? How have we raised you this way? Stop whining. Um, this is this is uh, you, you're a very privileged person and you just didn't get it. They're just better than you. And there's a big fight around that. Um so that that kind of uh, that 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 culminates into that scene at the end of the part one. This play is in kind of three parts, about seventy pages in three parts. Um, th so you have the kind of explosion of that. You have Sherry trying to uh, uh, kind of care for Charlie and say, "You've just been deferred. We'll we'll find you'll we'll probably still get in. We'll we'll work it out." Part two begins in February, so a couple months have gone by, and uh, there's a, a return to the admissions catalog, and uh, Roberta has come back with basically just a catalog of students of color. <laughs> Um, in the for for the admissions, and uh, uh, Sherry has more um, uh, critiques for her. Um, she she says uh, we're not we're not trying to show that we're like segregating students. For instance, we want to show that we're an integrated student body and and uh, a diversified student body. And eventually, it ends with some more complicated conversation from Roberta and uh, them deciding to basically stage a photo shoot for the for for the admissions catalog. What else is going on in that in this this time frame? Charlie has quit the basketball team and is sort of morosely um, dealing with the ramifications of not going to Yale. Um, and uh, this is a fairly short part. And uh, the Ginny Ginny comes over, kind of brings cookies. Is sad that she hasn't seen Charlie in a while. She and uh, Charlie and Perry are like like boyhood friends. Like they've been at each other's houses all the time. Ginny is somewhat sad to not see Charlie and know that he's in pain. So she brings like cookies. And uh, he kind of let slip some of his uh, biases around uh, how Perry got in to Yale. And Ginny picks up on this, um, notices that Sherry doesn't correct Charlie in the moment, and extrapolates that this is also uh, Sherry's position on how Perry got in to uh, Yale. Uh, Sherry says a couple of things that are, are kind of like sympathetic to Charlie's stance while not straight up saying that it's just because uh, Perry checked the um, uh, the box on the, on the admission sheet that said he was black that he got in. Um, and uh, eventually Jenny leaves uh, kind of saying, I can't believe that you would think this and I can't believe that 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 uh, that you would allow Charlie to think this and and we're done. I'm, I'm leaving. Um uh, the final part of the play takes place in April. Um, Charlie has uh, kind of done a 180. Right away at the start of the scene, Charlie comes into his mom's office and says, I wrote this piece for the paper um, uh, that uh, talks about uh, why it's important for uh, for um, uh, white students to take a step back from some of these roles and not take advantage of the privilege that they have and re reset the system by not doing these things. He says to her that I'm really ashamed of the way I showed up that night back in December. And so I'm doing this. And also I've written in the paper that uh, you guys, uh, mom and dad, are going to start a scholarship with the money that you save for my college for uh, uh, students of color to attend uh, Hillcrest. So uh, that's coming out in this, the student paper today. Have fun with that. Um, also, I've uh, he says that I've uh, rescinded all of my applications from all of the universities that I applied to, and I'm going to community college, and I'll pay my own way to do that. Um, what follows is Sherry uh, saying, no, no, you're not. Um, <laughs> and uh, the process of her and Bill trying to figure out a way to undo what 
um, Charlie has done. They call a bunch of universities. They try to get him in. It's too late in the process. A lot of places say no. It becomes clear that the only way that they can uh, have a hope of of getting him into something besides a community college is by asking Ginny to talk to her sister-in-law who works at... Oh, it's a, it's a, it's not an Ivy League school, but it's a high up school um, that that she works at, and um, Middlebury and, College. So, thank you. Really yeah. expensive, uh, mostly yeah. white institution in in New England, basically. So, uh, still a very high level university. Yep. To sum up the the rest of the play pretty quickly, there's another conversation with Ginny and Sherry that um, uh, Ginny says, I'm still not, we're still not over like what you, you clearly think about Perry. Um, and uh, Sherry apologizes again that even like some sort of insinuation in that direction could have been made from her. She also says that I don't think that about Perry. Um, and I know that you care, but even if you're mad at me, I know that you care about Charlie and Charlie really needs this, um, even though he doesn't know that he needs it. Um, and uh, she asks asks her if she would please uh, talk to her sister-in-law. Ginny says she won't, and the scene ends. Um, but uh, later on that night, uh, the the, uh, the family is there. Bill, Sherry, and Charlie are all uh, at their home, and Charlie comes downstairs and says, I've been accepted to Middlebury. Um, and uh, who did this? And it's clear that Ginny has put a good word in for him. What follows is a scene where they essentially tell him, "I'm we're not going to listen to what you want us to do. We're not we're not going to we're not going to let you not go to a prestigious school because that would be denying the considerable gifts that you have and the 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 sort of influence that or we want you to have as much uh, opportunity as possible given your status in life." Um, and Charlie consistently kind of uh, and and slow consistently resists, but slowly kind of becomes more and more lost with how he's supposed to show up to this sort of situation until they finally just straight up tell him that you are going to this college. And that's that he goes upstairs um, and um, there's this kind of really poignant final image of uh, everyone kind of separated and disconnected from each other um, in the middle of this family trying to figure out what to do with the amount of privilege that they've amassed and the amount of advocacy that they want to have for the world. Yeah. And, and so across the course of the play, there's these like different strands going on, right? There's the story of Sherry and Bill and Charlie, the kind of family part of the story. There's the story of Sherry and Roberta trying to work on the, uh, catalog, the, the, the brochure, the, the, uh, the recruitment tool, uh, with all the different photos and percentages and stagings and all that different stuff. And there's also, the story of Sherry trying to increase the percentage of students of color in the school. And in the middle of the play, there is a big hoopla celebration about the fact that for the next year, they are up to 20% students of color, fifth of the students are students of color at the school. And that's a big number for this particular institution. And, and they're very excited about the celebration. The question is, can we come up with the scholarship money to allow this to happen? And that's an open question in the play. Of course, then Charlie presents this opportunity or this this uh, this thing that he wants them to do to take the money that he saved for college and turn it into a scholarship could solve that problem. And at the end of the play, you the, the final conversation between Sherry and Roberta, it's indicated that the number for the next year is at 19% now, which uh, tells part of that story too, right? They had the opportunity to make it 20%, needed the scholarship money. Charlie presents them with an opportunity to fund the scholarship themselves because of the decision made where he decides to go to Middlebury and, uh, you know, take the, you know, whatever, uh, they don't have the money. So the number drops back to 19%. So there's a lot of kind of interesting storytelling features throughout the three different strands that you catch as you try to track the different things that are happening and how they interrelate. Yeah, yeah, no, thank you, thank you for, especially that, that, that final scene is a really, really important one, so there's the kind of, the family, the family together fights about him going to Middlebury, and then that last scene is Roberta coming back with the admissions catalog, and it's, and it's 
uh, Lee Sherry says it's perfect. This is exactly what I asked for. And there's this kind of like sadness at knowing that they're at 19% because of uh, like partially because of choices she's made partially because of uh, just the way the system is set up. So yeah, it's got, it's got all of these different like hints about all, I think you said three, um, but certainly many um, uh, uh, strands of story that are all weaving together. Right. And I guess you could say maybe there's a fourth one, which is Sherry and Ginny's friendship. How does that relate to family? Yep. I mean, this is certainly a, a, a multi-layered story uh, about this really wealthy family that is dealing with, uh, and it's an issue where it's it's both very hard for them in the moment. You can tell the level of stress and pain that they're under when their values, the things that they they claim to believe that literally Sherry works in admissions doing as her job, and then their personal realities come into conflict. And and to me, that is those kinds of conflicts are such at the core of good writing. When you can put your characters in situations where the things that they value and then the 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 way that those values play off in their life come into tension or when the 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 competition between their personal lives and their professional lives come into competition where literally things within the characters are at war with each other and not just external conflicts between this play has that too, but it's also so good at putting the internal lives of the characters in conflict. And and setting it around a, a senior, like a, a, a child still, a teen, um, a senior in high school um, who uh, who is is the is the um crucible around which that issue is is navigated by their by his parents cuz they they are forced to grapple with their you know what they what they pr- at least say that they are for in their professional world versus what they are willing to do for their family for their for their child but you also have the interestingness of it being alive in him and him trying to figure out um, how how this affects him? How how to represent both sides of that well when it's about him and about uh, what 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 he wants, what he has to give up about what he wants versus what he has to um, fight for for what he wants and what level to which he can navigate those. So you have you have both of them at the same time. It's it's interesting to see the issue grappled with from both sides of that coin. And and it's it's uncomfortable. I mean, it's it's an, an uncomfortable play for I think especially like a privileged white class of people who are asked to really face down. I think there's a a, a pointed question that the play asks, and it does not provide I think any good answers. But the pointed question is: if you believe there should be more room at the table for non-white people. Don't doesn't that mean there has to be less white people at the table? So what happens yeah. when it's you? Mm-hmm. And and that's a that's a pointed, uncomfortable question to ask. And he puts this family through the crucible of that question. And and I don't think the play comes out with any real good answers. I mean, uh, Charlie, of course, in the middle of the play, comes up with this potential thing that he feels passionate about doing, not going to college, taking that money that his family has amassed to send him to college, giving it to students of color in the form of a scholarship, and him going to a community college, not going to one of these really high-ranking, wealthy institutions that would set him up for life. So he presents this option, but that ultimately he doesn't decide to do that. He goes right. to Middlebury at the end of the play. And so I, I don't know what – I'm not sure that that particular option presented by Charlie is the like the point of view of the playwright or anything. But it's a question. It's uh, it's an examination. It's sort of an experiment. Right. And, and it's it, – yeah, it's an experiment and it's a, a way to see people's arguments for one position or another. Because because uh, people go through different stages in the play of pre- presenting different arguments. You have Charlie presenting the arguments of of of, for instance, the table analogy, which is a pretty poignant analogy. He said, like, if you if you want to keep being sure that people uh, have a seat at the table, there's not infinite space around the table. That's not how tables work. So someone has to has to leave the table or make space themselves at the table. Um, and then you have uh, Sherry's uh, trying to recontextualize um, this for her son, for Charlie, of like, you are not competing for those chairs, you're competing for the white student chairs. 
um, and and trying to still like cast this sort of prestigious school and the privilege that is associated with it with this sort of other form of competition that she has been trying to create where the white students are competing for the white student spots and there's always spots available for uh, uh, students of color. So you kind of see the, 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 um, the finesse that she has been trying to navigate her world with as well. Yeah, I, I want to just briefly go back to this table analogy. It's uh, described by Charlie in the middle of his long, kind of emotionally vulnerable, explosive, very uncomfortable monologue when he's learned that he's not going to Yale. And he says some things that are are painful to hear someone say. And then, of course, later on, he regrets saying them. I do think that there's an, a level of emotional distress, which for a, you know, a teenage person is 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 hard to grapple with. But he, I think one of the, the table analogies that he brings out, I think is really central to understanding what is going on in this play. And I, I think it's a really poignant, subtle point that he makes. He's talking about uh, his the reason why he didn't get chosen to be editor-in-chief at the school paper. And, uh, you know, the, the, the benefit of writing a play, a fictional play like this, is that you can invent these circumstances. And so you can put a family through, like, all boiler point, pressure point, crucible moments at once. So not only did he not get into Yale where his person of color friend, uh, who, who he feels is a less qualified candidate, all we get is their perspective on this, to be clear, but he feels is less qualified candidate gets in but he also and in high school was uh passed over for editor-in-chief of the paper which at these prestigious high school institutions is a big deal uh by a by a woman and he feels again that she was a less qualified candidate for that for that spot and the argument that is being presented is well you know there's never been a woman editor-in-chief of the paper it's a really valuable thing for her to have that role and Charlie says, well, hey, look, the real decision maker of the paper is the faculty advisor, and he's a white man, so why doesn't he give up his seat to a woman if this is something that he really believes in? And this is how he goes on to describe it. I'm quoting from the play now. Uh, no, his solution is to just suddenly get super self-righteous about having a woman editor because it's fucking easy to make room at a table you don't have to sit at. Well, newsflash from the people trying to sit at those tables, you can't just keep pulling chairs. There isn't unlimited room. That's like not how tables work. So let him go make room at his own table. Leave mine alone. So look, I, that the particular perspective that Charlie offers there is one I don't even know that he agrees with over the course of the play. He's emotionally vulnerable. He's in distress. So just take that out of it for just a second and consider the point that the sort of deeper point that I think Harmon is making there. It's easy to make room at other people's tables. Yeah. It's much harder to make room at a table that you are in and that may very well require you to step back from the table. Uh, and, and that uh, that sort of central again, it's a question, not an answer. The pain of that, the the or not even the pain, the challenge of that is is the question asked or one of the questions asked here. Mm-hmm. There's also uh, the other thing I really like in, 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 in much of that monologue, but and especially in that line is so is is that so certainly that thought of like we you know, it's it's much easier for you to like. To, to make room at a table that isn't necessarily the one that you're sharing power with, etc. But I also really like Charlie's statement of it being my table. Um, yeah, really. Which is, <laughs> yes. which is a real, like, is, is the other, like, the especially in that monologue where you kind of get to see, you know, all of this sort of stuff that Charlie probably wouldn't agree with later on in, in the script. Um, but you see this sort of stuff that's under the water all the time um, for him. That's that in this moment of, of, of lack of inhibitions and anger, he lets out. Um, and you see that, that kind of that hidden belief underneath that it was his table and it's his, his right to step up and walk away from it. Not someone else's to tell him that he shouldn't. Um, which is just a, 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 it's sm it's a, it's a small part of that line and a small part of that monologue, which is almost a page and a half. Um, but, uh, but it's, it, it's, it's an impactful one and a revealing one for that character. Um, even, even though later on when he has his wits about him, he wouldn't admit to, or, or wouldn't, wouldn't support that stance. No, I, that's exactly right. And this this play is so good at, Harmon is so good at finding lots of those little moments where the, the, the things that are going on underneath 
come kind of into the light. Calling it his table is a great example of that. Another great example is uh, variously the three adult or the the three, I guess there's four adult characters, three of the adult characters, Bill and Sherry, their husband and wife, and they're the the family that their parents of Charlie and then their friend Ginny, right? Those three variously discuss uh, a sort of a famous alumni from Hillcrest School who's gone on to clerk for Supreme Court justices. This is a black man. And there is a moment where uh, they, they uh, Sherry is discussing like her frustration with why this now very wealthy, very successful black man who graduated from Hillcrest is not willing to donate back. And she says uh, he is where he is because of us, basically, is that point. Uh, She says because we took a chance on him. No gratitude, no gratitude at all. And uh, so again, sort of that under the surface stuff, right? Like we made you because we from our seats of power and and money and institution invested in you. Uh, so we formed you. And then later in the play, Ginny discusses how her husband, who knows this person real well, uh, talks about how that was like a miserable experience for him. Of course it was for everybody to feel like that he's like this Oh, uh, so, oh, how wonderful black smart kid at this this school that we're going to, you know, give everything to and we're going to build up into this amazing person and it's all us doing it. So you get another one of those moments where it's like it's our institution. Really, the core is like it's our institution that we are letting these things happen in. But the table is still mine. Right. Yeah, yeah. And and no no character escapes um, the lens of 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 the playwright and the 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 critique of the playwright in in this either Ginny Ginny narrow like almost does but then there's there's subtle lines from her too around especially when uh, um, uh, Sherry is talking about how how more and more of the the school's uh, students of color are being uh, or or the school is is being uh, more widely advertised to students of color in places like China or in, in in Japan and she's like oh so so you're basically just getting a bunch of Asian students to come in and you see her um, uh, bias coming out in 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 the relationship too so so none of the none of the characters um, kind of have this riding above the issue sort of thing each of them have this stuff that's under the water that comes out when they're not really thinking about it when they're not like uh on on point um for their for their positions and it and, and bubbles to the surface well and that that that's so much of what the play is right it's like this here's what i'm going to say and even what i'm going to do to a certain extent right i as a as a family as an institution we say and do things which indicate that we are invested in this idea of of diversifying our school right i mean diversity really is the issue in the play and yet there are these underneath things that are they put us into conflict and it puts us into conflict with ourselves with the actions that we take um and and so that that's the question that that bubbles to the surface as you say and and it's an uncomfortable question i think designed to be for the audience there's another i think a really great one of those moments um roberta and sherry are discussing the second edition of the catalog that's been produced where it's only students of color and of course this is all uh, aligning with the fact that at this moment Sherry's also her son didn't get into an institution uh, that a, that a person of color did, so she's concerned. So there, there's like a concern about oh now there's all persons of color in the catalog. So there's some plot alignment there, right? But then there's a moment. So they're talking about staging the photo uh, and how they're going to get different students of different ethnicities into the photo, so the the group appears really diverse. And uh, uh, Roberta says that's three whites, two blacks, one Hispanic, two. Asian. Sherry, thank you, Roberta. Roberta, I don't know their religions or orientations. Sherry, that won't be necessary. Roberta, so it's only race we care about, just so I'm clear? I mean, again, it's just an uncomfortable question that comes to the surface. And there's no answer given, but it's a question. Mm Mm-hmm. 
which I, I think is why that, I mean, we, we often talk or uh, uh, we, we, yeah, we often talk about how titles of plays are interesting in, in association with the plays. And I think the double, the, the, the double entendre, the, the play on the word admissions is a really interesting one in this scenario. No one, I mean, it's a, it's a play about an admissions department, but it's also a play about all of these kind of like, um, subconscious, um, admissions of biases yes. of, of, um, of, of even racism at some point of, of privilege of, of, of how, how these characters in, in moments of awareness or moments of unawareness admit to these things being around them, um, and, and their role in them as well. Yeah. It's all, it's all, it's very comparable to, uh, Brandon Jacob Jenkins play appropriate or appropriate. We yeah. talked about that, mm-hmm. I think last season and the way yeah. that the title has a very specific and very pointed double meaning. And you're totally right that this does too. It's literally about admissions departments, but it's also about admitting the things yeah. that are under the surface when those things come come to affect you personally. And there's there's a lot of specific kind of political, social commentary and questions offered. But in, on the sort of macro zoom out scale, I do think that the, the, the sort of the macro level question that is being asked is like, what happens when the things you're trying to do and believe in come to affect you personally? Mm-hmm. And, and are you do those values still hold up? Do that. Do your commitments, do your the things that you say still hold up when your personal son is at stake? I mean, they believe this and that shows their bias, too. Right. That, oh, his life's ruined if he goes to a community college. You don't necessarily have to agree with that point of view. But their point of view very much is your life. And it's probably true to some degree. Your life has a a much higher ceiling when you go to one of these wealthy, powerful institutions. And so for these for this couple their son's life literally his future is literally at stake so when you raise the pressure cooker and make it personal then what mhm yeah and then so so then what both for the issues but also then what also for your family um and 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 for what what uh your relationships are cuz that's the other the other like kind of big piece of this play like it's a it is a play about these issues and it's a very intellectual play this play has big long monologues in it often where a character kind of launches on a really well formed well formed or at least passionate argument about uh, uh about a given position well, I just this is not a big deal but I just want to quibble with I, I don't know that they're well formed, actually, and I think that might be part of it. Is that the speeches that are given are in the height of emotional distress, virtually all the time, and so these aren't the things that these characters have really thought through and have really carefully crafted. And that's hmm. where the admissions come out, right? Is that there's no opportunity to make these well-formed thoughts and speeches that you've practiced and say exactly how you want to say and exactly what you want to say when. This is like the stuff that comes out when you're not thinking. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that that's definitely a valid quibble. Thank you, because that is an important part of the way the play is structured. I think I think I'll, I'll I'll finesse my word just a little bit and just like their general steeped in intellectualness. They're very comes smart out. people. Yeah, exactly. this is a yeah. highly educated group of people that has a lot of money, has been very successful, and they're very smart at, in part as a result of that privilege right. and success <laughs> and and all of that. <laughs> right, right. So these 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 con- these conversations and these monologues. And these arguments bear that in the writing, but also there's a pretty compelling, just like family story happening. There's there's lots of little questions around the way Bill shows up to Charlie. Um, he is much more quick to just like cut him out essentially and say, "How dare you? You're terrible. How did we do this? Okay, you want to go to community college? You're paying for everything, and you're never coming home." <laughs> he and Cherry um, <laughs> have very different parenting styles. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. So so yeah, there's there's all that in the water too of like how is this family going to navigate this moment and um is it in like a, yeah is it indicative of of other unhealth beyond the kind of issue unhealth that we're dealing with um in the and the kind of upfront level of the play yeah and 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 it is that sort of difference in parenting styles which creates attention between Bill and Sherry. I think that's a smart writing thing on behalf of Joshua Harmon because otherwise I do think there's a potential that that couple could be 
perhaps a little too aligned for that play, if this makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's conflict between all of the characters. I don't I don't think any character I guess Roberta and Charlie don't ever meet the 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 development yeah. department like assistant and the son. They they don't ever meet. So perhaps they're the two characters that don't have any conflict between them. But otherwise each group of characters there are things going on between each other and then the, those things impact what's going on inside each character to create this like onion of conflict right. layers <laughs> right yeah. so I'm pulling layers in Shrek here layers. I guess <laughs> right, right. and even characters who aren't there like for all all the all the uh for all the attention that Perry gets, this this best friend of Charlie, this son to to Ginny, um, he's never on stage. Um, but he's 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 a prevalent member of many of the scenes. There's there's the 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 uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna forget the character name. She's never on stage, but the the editor in chief of the newspaper gets talked about a lot. So you have this an onion, yeah, an onion of conflict all around these characters that they are constantly kind of weaving their way through in a in a crucible moment of trying to get into college. Well, and it is interesting as a as a playwriting choice, right? That the five characters in this play are all white in a play that deals with race and privilege and who gets to speak on these issues and what rooms do you have to be in to get to speak and how do you ensure that those rooms include a multi... I mean, these are all complicated, really intense questions for our society. But in a play about all those things, it's an interesting choice to have the only characters be white characters. And this is from a white male playwright. And, and uh, you know, up front, I guess not up front, we're at the back end of the episode. Right. <laughs> Way back, I guess now, it, th- this play has received some criticism for that. There has been a, a point of view response to this play, which is, well, like, isn't it interesting that you're writing this play about how white people have the ability to be in the room just inherently and that might not be right? And at the same time, like, you, this white playwright, and five white actors and characters are getting major productions at off-Broadway theaters and regional right. houses. Like, maybe you take your own advice, you know. I think I've read one reviewer, I won't say the review I read because I couldn't guarantee they said this, but I think I read one reviewer say, like, take your own advice and shut up. Like, yeah. it's an interesting mm-hmm. dichotomy. And the, the, so the form in this case and the content have some tension between them. Mm-hmm. Which spark conversation? It's just it's again like again this this sort of the semantics of of the value of 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 the 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 voices in this conversation is interesting. Like this the the way it sparks conversation for different demographics, but the way it also yeah controls who's in the room is a really compelling um, tension around a play like this uh, coming coming from the space that it does. And and I do think that one of the major values of all art, right, is the ability to to say. Uh, here's the thing you're not saying, right? Yeah. The, the artists and, and, and art in general have that sort of special magic power to say, here's the thing you don't want to say. Let me put it in front of you. And I that, that kind of core through conflict of this play, this like uh, you all, you want to, you want to make room at the tables you're not at that. That is that thing you don't want to say. And, and that uncomfortable question comes out. Um, and it's great in a play like this that there aren't any answers offered, right? I mean, I do think that that might be one response to uh, uh, some of the criticism of like the, the sort of voices, you know, who gets to speak in this play is that there's not really any answers being presented. I don't think it, it would be fair to accuse Joshua Harmon of sort of dictating how he thinks diversity should work in this play. I, he doesn't do that for sure. He just asks the questions uh, that 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 he sees in in this in these conflicts here are some of the the things that are uncomfortable to talk about here are some of the things that don't have any good easy answers well, in in that tension, um, we come to the end of our <laughs> of our time for this podcast, and it is it is a play that like that that holds that tension well. Of we're not going to be here to you, you almost get this sort of like we are fly on the wall sort of just watching something really messy happen for a moment in these characters' lives, and and leave it feeling still very messy about it. Which means there's lots of room for continued conversation, um, conversation around the play. Whether you have been in this play, whether you've seen it. Um, read it or just like liked the reviews or the interviews you saw about it, we would love to keep having this conversation with all of you out there in podcast land.
Land, and we get to on social media. So you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at the username at NoScriptPodcast. We also have a Gmail, NoScriptPodcast at gmail.com. Find us on any of those sites. We'd love to keep talking about admissions with you. Absolutely. If you've liked this episode or any of our other episodes, please pass your family and friends on to No Script the Podcast. They can find us at Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube, any of those places. You can also like us on Facebook, and the link to a new episode will appear every Monday when we publish. Themed month is coming up in about a month. Yeah, so get ready for that. Get excited. We'll be announcing the content of that themed month in the coming weeks. Until next week when we're talking about another play, I am Jackson Nikolai. I am Jacob Mann Christensen. Thanks for joining us for No Script the Podcast.